welcome to the Squats and Signs podcast hosted by USA National Team Head Coach Aaron Comesti and SNS Barbell Owner and Coach Joe Cristando. In this podcast, we go over various powerlifting topics in detail and use real-life examples to help you better understand key concepts. Welcome to Squats and Signs podcast episode 16. I'm Coach Joe. I'm joined with Coach Arian. And today we're talking about uh, what it takes to run a meet. And I think we're just going to dive right into it. Um, so I'm going to let you kind of run this podcast because you have the most experience with this. So you could start it off. Yeah, we were trying to think about uh, basically what to do with our next episode on. Um, and one of the ideas I had was basically since we ran the meet last month, um, and then also lots of meets right now are getting postponed or canceled is like go over what it takes to run a meet and some of the expenses and, and what kind of revenue you can expect to get. Um, so people can kind of see a clearer picture of what's going on on the meet director side so they can see like or at least get a better idea of how much money uh, a meet director might make off of a meet depending on the size of the meet and the level of the meet and also basically see like some of the reasons why maybe they have to postpone it or why they can't postpone it, why they have to cancel it, things of that nature with, with everything that's going on right now. So I was trying to see how we can break it up. So I figured we first kind of like go over um, some of the requirements and um, some of the breakdown of where the money goes, how much does the organization get, how much does the meet director get, and then go into those actual um, costs of expenses, revenue, what kind of profit is left over, and then um, kind of, how much time it takes. I know some people have asked me like, hey, how, how much time do you put into running a meet? Which I've never actually tracked, but this will kind of help us um, get an idea for ourselves and others of how much time it takes leading up um, and then actually doing the, uh, the competition itself. Right, so let's start with um, requirements. We, we only host USAPL meets, um, so that's the only reason we're talking about USAPL, but uh, what are the USAPL meet director requirements? Yeah, so our organization has different requirements, and that may change over time. So ours have changed a little bit, um, but the basics now is basically doing what's called a safe sport program, which is basically a program a lot of sports are doing, a lot of Olympic sports are doing. Um, for us, it's meet directors, referees, national team coaches have to start taking this course to basically go over what things you should do and what things you shouldn't do when you're in a position of power or when you're with minors, um, things like um, harassment, assault, um, that kind of stuff, verbal abuse. So you have to take that course, it takes a couple hours watching videos, taking quizzes and all that stuff. And then once you finish that course, there's then a background check they do through a third party company. So you have to go onto the site and then fill out the information of where you live, your addresses, locations, uh, social security, all that kind of stuff. And they do background check on you in different databases, criminal databases, um, Department of uh, Justice, all that kind of stuff like that to make sure there's no issues before allowing you to run a competition. So that's basically the requirement now for directing a meet. Um, and then aside from that is depending on what state you're in, you're going to have to contact the state chair and say you want to run a meet and what the location is, um, the date and everything like that. And the state chair has to sign off on it and basically approve it before it can uh, be advertised. Right. So New York has a lot of meets, so you have to get it approved before you can just uh, you could just host one. Yeah, every state is different in how many meets they run throughout the year, how many members they have in a year, um, who the meet directors are, who the state chairs are. For Florida, it's, it's fairly easy because 
the state chair, Robert Keller, runs 90, 95% of the meets. So he can basically just schedule his own meets on his own however he wants. And then a couple other people, like I'll, I'll run one. Uh, our buddy Josh up in uh, Tallahassee runs one. They can fit that in easy. In New York, you have upstate New York. You got downstate New York. You got different meet directors. You have um, two state chairs there that run their own meets as well. So, yeah, it's a little bit of um, planning ahead and working with everyone, maybe six, 12 months in advance to say, okay, who wants to run what meets in what cities um, in what month and try and build a plan so that you're hitting each area of New York and possibly throughout the year to give you a multiple options. Right. We usually get our sanction like six months out usually. Yeah. So the, the past couple of years um, for New York and New York City was Murder Crows runs a meet in February. We run our meet in March and then South Brooklyn with the club runs theirs in April. Then South Brooklyn usually runs a, a fall meet. And I think Murder Crows is starting to try and run a fall or winter meet as well. And then South Brooklyn also does a couple like small invitationals. Um, so that way people in New York City at least get four to five meets a year. Um, spread throughout the year yeah there's a lot of people wanting to compete so it helps um all right so let's go into expenses uh you have it split between non-recurring and recurring um what are the non-recurring expense expenses to host a meet yeah i was trying to find a way to break it down and and even some of the non-recurring expenses are recurring they're just not recurring on the same basis so i try to break it up into stuff that you have to pay for at every single meet and then stuff that you might buy one time and it might last you for several meets and then you have to purchase it again. So some of the stuff for non-recurring expenses for a general meet would be all the meat equipment. So you have to buy the, the combo rack, you have to buy the bars, you have to buy the kilogram calibrated plates, you have to buy the collars, weight trees, you have to buy plywood, carpet, all that stuff. And then that's gonna last you a certain number of meets depending on how often you use it. Um, so it's kind of a one-off expense for most people for a certain amount of time. Um, so I tried to basically go through those items and see what the biggest, biggest expenses are. So people can get an idea of just like the initial cost to get into this kind of business. So every business has some kind of upfront cost or initial cost um, based on what kind of tools or equipment and stuff you need to buy. So for example, um, an ER rack which they have, you guys have at uh, Williamsburg, I got one here in my room, uh, cost $2,800 for a, a standard price. So for example, if you want to run a one platform meet, and let's say you want to have three warm-up platforms in the back, you're going to need four of those. That's going to cost $11,200 right there just for the rack itself. Right. Um, so this just starts giving people an idea of, of how expensive this can be just to get in. So that would be the biggest cost. Some other stuff, if you want to buy bars, you can buy rogue bars. It's going to cost you about three to four hundred a piece, depending on um, which uh, basically finish you get. Um, weights, depending on how many red red plates, twenty five kilo plates you want in the warm up room on the and on the platform, it's going to cost you maybe between a thousand to two thousand dollars per set. Um, collars, again, depending on what kind you get, might cost between seventy five to two hundred dollars. Um, and the weight trees, depending again on what kind you get, might cost three hundred dollars a piece or something like that. So just there, just looking at powerlifting equipment for a combo, uh, four combo racks, four bars, four sets of weights, four pairs of collars, and four sets of weight trees, that there is going to cost you about $19,000. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> a lot of upfront, a lot of upfront costs. Yeah, so $19,000 upfront, even if you get like some kind of discount where you buy everything through one per person and get like whatever 10% discount. You're still looking over fifteen thousand dollars right there. 
Yeah, and that's just the equipment. Yeah. Um, doesn't so, take that count everything else. Yeah, so then you start going into some of the other stuff that you might need um, specifically for a competition depending on the setup. So you might need uh, plywood basically, basically to protect the floor or whatever venue you're using. And then on top of the plywood, you have to have the carpet. Um, so that right there might cost you another $500 to $1,000. Um, you need the referee lights so you can maybe buy a cheaper version or buy your own um, or build your own. Or you can buy something more expensive, like Scott Dobbins has his new, his referee light system with remotes that we now use for our championship, and mm -hmm. that can cost between seven hundred and nine hundred dollars, depending on what features you want for it. Um, then there's uh, also the the meat scale, so you can't just go and use any scale. It has to be a specific digital scale that goes at least one decimal place, and it has to have a certain like calibration to it. Um, I believe for USAPL, you have to get it calibrated every two years. So a scale off of Amazon might cost you 150 to 200 dollars, and then the calibration every two years might cost you uh, another 100 bucks. Um, then the other things you want to look at would be things that you might use your own personal items, or you might borrow from someone, and that would be like a laptop to run the scoring, uh, monitors or projectors to display the stuff for the spotters and loaders for the uh, audience or the announcer. Um, and like cables, you might need HDMI cables, you might need extension cords, you might need uh, VGA cables if you're gonna do it that way, or if you're gonna use Chromecast, whatever you're gonna use, all those little pieces, um, different tools you might need. Um, you might need different wrenches and, and stuff like that to assemble everything. So all that can then depend on, do you wanna buy it yourself as part of your business? Do you want to basically use your own personal stuff and basically wear and tear your own laptop? Do you want to ask like whoever the scoring manager is coming or whoever the gym is to use their stuff? So those are all little things that add up. And then um, another thing also some people don't think about is if you want to make this a business for yourself, then you may want to protect yourself. And so you may have to then uh, build an actual business and get an LLC or an S corporation. So you have to do the filing for that. And that could be a recurring expense of $200 or more, depending on basically what state you're in and, and how you do it so that you make sure that like, something happens at your meet, you don't get sued and get all your personal stuff taken away from you. Yep. Also PA, you need a PA system. Yeah. Depending on what kind of venue you use, um, you may be able to use that from if the hotel has one or if you're using convention center um, or you might have to purchase your own. Um, yeah. Microphone, PA system, all that kind of stuff like that. Uh, but try and look at those basic, biggest expenses would be like the combo rack, the weights, um, the weight trees, the bars, um, all that stuff from what I calculated here of the things I went over is about 21,500. Yeah. So it's a pretty big upfront cost just to get into it. Uh, it's yeah. different though, if you're a gym, because if you, if you actually own a gym already, you most likely have a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So that's the reason why I run the meets at SNS up there in New York. I run the meets down in Boynton Barbell down here in Florida. Uh, I've run a meet in Tallahassee at uh, Capital City Barbell for Josh Chamberlain. Um, I've run a meet also down here in Miami at CrossFit Seoul. Um, the reason why I do those gym meets is, yeah, because you, you hopefully they have a bunch of the equipment where you don't have to buy the rack, you don't have to buy the bar, you don't have to buy the weights, you may not have to pay for the venue, um, things of that nature really bring down those initial costs that you have to, you have to put into it. There might be some stuff you might have to buy, like the scale, get it calibrated or carpet. Um, so there's still some small costs like that. Um, but 
that really helps us with, with uh, our meat. So yeah, for someone who maybe wants to get into meat directing, maybe the first thing to look into is, can you run it at someone's gym or your own gym, where um, at least you can use the warm-up room equipment as is, and then you can purchase the platform equipment um, if they don't have it themselves. Right. And then uh, that doesn't include recurring expenses. Yeah. So going into some of the recurring expenses for our meet and then just in general, that someone might um, have to deal with. So if, if you basically already got all that initial stuff or you found a location that has it, uh, I tried to do this in a couple posts before. So after our Boynton meet in January, I kind of put out a post of like what some of the, the biggest expenses were at that meet. And then after our championship last month, I put out a post of what the big expenses are at our, our meet. So I kind of used that and thought of some other stuff that other meet directors might deal with. And basically the biggest expense I found for us was the venue expense. Yeah. So, so for those that don't know, we use the CrossFit area as the competition area. And then we use the powerlifting area as the warm-up area. Um, the first time we ran the championship um, in the Williamsburg location, it was a one-day meet. And we paid $500 for one day to use the CrossFit area. Since that one, we've always done a two-day championship just because we have such a big demand of lifters that we have to go to two days. And so now for two days, they charge us $2,000. So now it's $1,000 per day that we're paying. Yes. If you're not fortunate enough to have a gym big enough to host the meet, you're going to have to pay for a venue cost. Yeah. And the the reason why for us it's $2,000 is one of it's because it's New York City. So the cost of everything is is, um, expensive. They're losing out on potential revenue from having classes and stuff then. Um, there's the cleanup cost and everything afterwards um, of chalk and baby powder and everything everywhere. Um, but depending on what other venue you go to, um, it may depend on the location. So you might be able to get a venue for $250 for the day, um, maybe $500 for the day. Um, and then for certain hotels, it might depend on how many hotel room nights you bring them. So if you can guarantee you'll bring them 50 hotel room nights, then they may give you the venue for a discounted price or maybe even free. Right. There are all kinds of deals you can do like that. Um, but for us, it costs $2,000. Um, and as I'm going over this, I also made a column where I basically broke it down to cost per lifter. For our meet, we had 97 people enter. So I just did it to um, cost per lifter out of 100 lifters just to make the numbers easy. So as we're going over these numbers, people can basically take the total cost, divide it by 100 if they want to get the per lifter cost or the opposite way, multiply it by 100 to get the total cost. So right off the bat for a venue, we're paying $20 per lifter. So when a, a lifter pays a $100 entry fee, we're already losing 20% of it just to pay the cost of the user place. Right. And there's, there's a lot of other smaller expenses, right? Drug testing and uh, concessions, all that stuff. Yeah. So, so for us, some of the top expenses that I, I listed um, – on the Instagram post and, and in this podcast episode, we can always throw the links to those Instagram posts so you guys can go look at the breakdown. Um, but the venue was the number one expense. The second big, big expense for us is the hotel rooms. Since I'm coming from Miami up there, uh, we have sometimes referees come from out of the city. Um, we sometimes bring in our own uh, clients from other places. So Sarah sometimes comes from Pennsylvania. Lauren Rosen might come from Pennsylvania. Nate might come from Florida. Chris originally was planning on coming from Florida. So hotel rooms um, are something that we have to usually get. And again, in New York, that's pretty expensive. So for us, for three hotel rooms, it cost about uh, $1,500, $1,600. 
Um, so again, that's like another $15, $16 per lifter that we're just spending on hotel rooms. Um, there's another big expense are the t-shirts. So sometimes you'll see meet directors and, and I've done it before for our initial ones. We might do like a, a hundred percent cotton white t-shirt with just like black text on the front because that's like the cheapest thing you can get away with might mm -hmm. cost you six dollars per shirt or something like that you can charge 15 and make a profit off it but over the years we've been trying to improve things from our championship one of the things we've been trying to prove is our t-shirt so if you go look at our more recent t-shirts we'll do some kind of like 50 50 blend we'll do front and back we'll do the sns logo on the sleeve we'll do a multicolor design that a uh, uh uh, graphic design artist came up with the design first or something like that and so that costs a lot so for this one it costs us about ten dollars per lifter um just for the t-shirt yeah the shirts are really nice though <laughs> yeah yeah the, the shirts are really nice and and going off of going off of that um you might if you don't have the skills yourself you might have to hire someone to design your meat logo for you so that you can then use that meat logo for the shirt or the medals or advertising that kind of stuff like that um, we're lucky that we, that we have someone in house that does it for us. Uh, but I've used other people before. So for example, in Florida, I used the guy cost about 80 bucks. Uh, I know some people that might go up to hundred, 200, $250 just to design the, the meat logo for you. They just give you the file and then you have to go do whatever you want with it. So that's another expense that kind of gets added in. Yeah. There's a lot of these little small expenses that add up to a lot at the end of the day. Yeah, you also mentioned drug testing, um, which is uh, a big expense for us. And it's also something that many people don't think about when they look at um, championships from other federations that might give out prize money. You might see a lot of non-tested championships giving out prize money and not that many tested ones giving out money. So one, one thing I explained to people is, well, they're not paying for the drug testing. If I didn't have to pay for drug testing, I could instantly give that money out as prize money. So... For us in USIPL, the price has gone up a little bit, but it's around $82 per drug test, and we have to do minimum 10% drug tests. So if you have 100 lifters that compete, you have to do 10, 10 drug tests. That's $820 that we're paying for drug tests. So if we ran a non-sanctioned meet or a non-tested meet, then we could instantly give out $800 in prize money at our championship. Yeah, yeah, and that adds up the bigger the meet is. Like nationals is it costs them a ton to do drug testing there. Yeah, and, and for these local meets, um, the drug testing is not a WADA-accredited lab. It's like a third-party lab that basically does the same testing. They just don't have the accreditation. And USAPL sub subsidizes some of the costs. So we're, the meet director is not paying the full cost. But when you go to a bigger meet, a national championship, they're trying to do all WADA testing now, all um, third-party people. So for raw nationals, they had uh, a WADA-accredited people come from Germany because it was cheaper to use the field from Germany than to use USADA. So they brought those people in from Germany, pay for the plane tickets, hotel rooms, and the drug testing to do all the water approved ones. Um, and so that one is going to be minimum 10%. Plus if you're breaking like open American records, it's like automatic drug test. So the, the price for that one is going to be much, much higher than what we do for the local meat. Yeah. That's a huge expense. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but just going off of, Right now, just to give uh, guy, people an idea, like the venue, the hotel, the shirts, and the drug testing comes out to about $55 per lifter for 100 lifters. So right off the bat, more than half our money is gone just for those top expenses, those top four expenses. Right. Yeah, there's, the margin is really tight. Um, yeah. Which brings us uh, to re revenue and potential revenue. 
Yeah, so just a, a, a quick uh, summation of the expenses. If you take all the smaller expenses and start adding them up, so lunch, uh, metals, uh, credit card fees. So every time you do a transaction on a credit card, you're going to get charged the 2 to 3%. Uh, chairs and tables, trophies, um, the sanction fee, um, using lifting cast for the registration, or you can also use job form, whatever else. You start adding up all these little smaller expenses. And on top of that, we try and pay as many of our volunteers as we can. So paying the referees, the spotters, the scorers, um, just adding those up, I'm up to $80 per lifter now. So now 80% uh, or actually a little bit more of that is gone already from uh, our expenses. So that just gives you an idea. Um, looking at total numbers, it's about $11,000 we spent on expenses for, for the meet that last month. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so yeah, now we can switch over to, to revenue so people can kind of get an idea. Well, okay, your expenses are really high, but what's the revenue like? So revenue, your, your major uh, source of revenue is going to be your entry fee. So your entry fee is going to be depending on the location and the meet. could be anywhere as low as maybe $40, $50 all the way up to 115 maybe for a local meet, 150 for um, like the Arnold or a national meet. Um, and then it just goes up from there depending on the, the level of the competition. So that would be your, your, your main source. And then some secondary sport sources would be your spectator fee. So some people might do free, some people might do $5 a person, some people might do $10 a person. Um, and then also the t-shirts. So you might charge 10 to $20 per t-shirt. So those things basically cover um, all those expenses we get because if you're charging $100 per person entry fee and you get 100 people, that's $10,000. Then maybe if you can get $1,000 off of spectators, you're up to 11000 and now you kind of broke even with uh, all the expenses we just went over. Yeah, you got you to gotta think really smart about how to optimize that margin because the margin is so tight. Yeah, so so now we're just just at break even. So now how do we get into a profit? Um, so like I said, the t-shirts, you may want to order more t-shirts and sell them at the competition uh, and may make a profit off of that. You may get sponsors for your competition. So if you want to kind of set up a booth or if you want to have their logo on the t-shirt, um, a lot of times they want to give out items because obviously um, it, it might cost them less because the value might seem high, but their actual cost for them to... Um, create it will be less and the other thing is that basically getting their items out will help with advertising rather than just giving us cash money so it might be a little bit harder to get sponsors that will give you actual money but that's possible um, also people that enter like extra divisions so the hundred dollar entry fee kind of gets you into one division but if you also want to be like open and juniors then we get some extra money off of the extra divisions like that um, and then the other thing we've been starting to do it was really big last year at our championship, a little bit smaller this year because we had such a smaller turnout, is selling food and drinks at the front table. So people yeah. want to buy whatever, Pop-Tarts, Sour Patches, energy drinks, Gatorade, water, coffee, whatever like that. Um, we'll, we'll sell that, um, which is obviously more effort. You have to go buy the stuff. You have to go make the signs of how much you want to sell it for, figure out how much would be a profit. But it helps out to try and get into uh, a profitable meet. Yeah, between the concessions and spectators, I think that's where we, we actually make most of the money, right? Yeah, because um, like I said, just like entry fee and spectator fee kind of just break even with expenses. So then it becomes, yeah, basically shirts, food, drinks that kind of bring the profit. Um, right. 
So kind of going over th those numbers I just went over for for revenue and then expenses, you might get somewhere around let's say fifteen hundred dollars profit. Yeah. Depending on obviously how well your your spectators are and how well you sell those items, uh, but you might see that fifteen hundred dollars and be like, oh man, that that's pretty good. I can just do one every single weekend and make fifteen hundred dollars every weekend. But there aren't meets every weekend. A lot of times there aren't meets every month um, because if you start doing it that often, then it basically gets saturated and you'll get less lifters per meet. So um, some state that maybe had, let's say, four meets per year and it would always sell out and, and, and like maybe whatever, 80 lifters, 100 lifters, 120 lifters. Now they might be running like 12 meets per year, but they're only getting like 50 lifters per because now people can pick and choose exactly where they want to go and they might only compete like two times per year. So it, it's a, uh, we're doing this meet only once a year to get that profit. But if we try to do it every month, then we're not going to get the same kind of turnout. Yeah, we're definitely not going to get even close to that. So we, we talk about profit uh, and you were saying how people might think 1500 is pretty good, but then there's another variable to take into account and that's the time invested into setting up and then running the meet. Um, so let, let's dive into that a little bit. There's initial an, an initial time investment for registration, email, and advertising. Um, how would you estimate that in terms of uh, total time commitment? Yeah, that, that's the part that I, I couldn't estimate off the off top of my head well um, for a number of reasons. One is I never tracked it. And, and two, depending on how you plan it in advance, then it may be more upfront time and then the time goes down. So what I mean is like, let's say you build a registration on lifting cast or job form, you can build a generic registration form that then you can copy and paste every meet and basically just change the name of the event and change the date. And then everything is basically there built for you. Right. So the first time, the first time you build it might take like, let's say takes you an hour to build it. Then you basically do a test and people find mistakes in your, in your system, which we've done before, go back and fix it. Maybe it takes another 20, 30 minutes to fix those issues. Um, but then after that, it might only take you 15 minutes every time after that to just update the information and have your registration going. Um, same thing with emails. I used to basically do only like one or two emails leading up to the competition. It might be like after everyone signs up saying like, hey, thank you for signing up for the champion championship. Here's where you can find all the information. And then like a secondary email saying, like, okay, here's the flights and um, here's some last minute information. And each time I would type that all up again and again, because I was only doing it once per year. Um, but what I started to do is, okay, let me go back to last year's email, copy and paste it, and just change information that I need to based uh, on the location and day of that competition. And then what I did this year was do some more emails, but do it through MailChimp. So for the Boynton Meet, I created on MailChimp a series of emails with helpful information and basically the standard stuff that to send out to lifters. And so the first time with a lot of effort, I built a video on how to get rack heights. I put together a video of like what the rules of performance are for each lift. I put together emails on like basically how to navigate lifting cast and find out what flight you're in, what day you're in, all that kind of stuff like that. So that could have taken me several hours, let's just say five, six hours to put all those emails together. But now hopefully we have those emails going forward where we can just kind of copy and paste them, change information for next year and be ready to go. Yeah, you uh, just have you have the templates. They're really easy to to create campaigns if you have those templates already yeah so hopefully that was a, a lot of upfront time for me that's going to help me in the long run 
Um, but right. there's still some stuff that like you might not be able to do that with, which would be like advertising. So depending on how you want to advertise the meat, you might make different Instagram posts each year because you're going to have like a different meat logo. And then you have to make the basically the copy for it and change all the information on there. Um, so that might change over the years. Um, and same thing with if you're going to advertise on other sites, if you're going to go post on whatever website that may be. Uh, list uh, different meats and stuff like that. Then you have to go find that site and see what the requirements are, fill out their form, that kind of stuff. So there's stuff like that that may take the same amount of time each time. Right. And then there's other stuff that you can't um, you can't create templates for, like finding volunteers, finding refs. Uh, every meet you have to go and seek those people out and get get people to sign up to do it. Yeah. So the, part of that can be through advertising. So we will post on Instagram, hey, we're looking for volunteers. So we had to make that post um, and then, yeah, those people will contact us. So then you have to go through Instagram DMs and DM each person saying like, hey, what day you're free? What job do you want to do? Um, what's your email? And then build an email list. Once I built the email list and I had my volunteers, then some of those emails to those volunteers were basically um, recurring just like the ones to the lifters. So basically I have different paragraphs saved of what I send each year or each meet to volunteers on like what to wear if you're a referee, what to wear if you're a spotter and loader, or what time to show up if you're a referee, or what time to show up if you're a spotter and loader, um, that kind of stuff. So at least that some of that stuff can then be saved and, and reused. But yeah, the hunting down volunteers and figuring out their schedules and building a, uh, a schedule of when everyone's been working to fill in all the spots and everything like that, um, that's just like, yeah, the same amount of work every single time. Yep. Is there any other upfront um, time costs that you can think of? I'm trying to think of it, what we do normally, but I'm not sure that there's anything else that you could do that far in advance. Yeah, the, the other stuff would just be like smaller stuff um, throughout from when you announce the meet until basically the day of the competition. And that would just be all the little emails that come in from the lifters. So sometimes lifters will ask you questions um, that are specific, like, oh, can I pay in advance for my spectator to come? Or can I come in the day before and check my weight on the scale? So little one-off emails like that that you have to just answer. Some of the stuff may be stuff that they don't know where the location is of that information, or maybe they didn't read in a previous email. So they'll be like, oh, hey, when's my weigh-ins? Or, hey, what day am I competing? Or, hey, can I wear this belt? And so you kind of have to go back and answer those questions, even though the information you may have already sent. Um, so it's just like additional effort. Um, so you just get lots of like one-off questions like that. People maybe want to change their weight class, change their division. Some people might want to back out of the competition, get a, a credit towards a future competition. So it's like a lot of back and forth communication that you can't necessarily plan for. Right. Um, and then the biggest time and labor investment is actually meet day or the day before meet day, right? Getting, getting everything set up. Yeah, so th this is where I have some more like hard numbers because I, I know um, basically how long it takes to do each of these things. So yeah, the, the first thing would be the day before is usually the setup. Um, there may be some setup stuff you do in advance, like you might go shopping for all the food and drinks you're going to sell maybe a days before, maybe get delivered from Amazon or whatever like that. You may go buy the carpet or whatever, um, the scale, get it calibrated weeks before and you can have that prepared. But just the actual setup of the venue that can take for a one platform meet could take two or two to three hours depending on how many volunteers you have yeah um, it also depends on uh where you're moving the equipment from <laughs> last year was miserable because we had to 
cart all the racks and plates from Bushwick and up a flight of stairs, down a flight of stairs. Yeah, that sucked. Yeah, that, t- that took a lot more effort going downstairs into Williamsburg. And then obviously when we broke down, bringing it up into Williamsburg. And then also even this time, just bringing the, the, the Illico rack over from Bushwick over to Williamsburg, you're just wasting time in New York traffic. Like it's only yeah. a couple miles away, but it still takes you 15, 20 minutes just to get over there. It's actually um, so, it's actually one mile and it takes a half hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so there's, there's stuff like that, but the actual time it takes to to set up. Um, let's say you were at a a convention center with a big bay door and you can just pull up your U-Haul and then it's just taking everything off the U-Haul and setting up one competition platform and three warm-ups. That can still take you about three hours because you still need to take everything off the U-Haul. And then you need to first assemble your, your platform. So if you're not putting it on the ground, you first need to set up your plywood and you have to screw down your plywood and put on your carpet. Then you can start bringing your racks in and assemble your racks in. Then you can start bringing your, your bars and your weight trees in, setting those up. Then the last thing you want to do is then bring all the plates in and put all the plates in the weight trees exactly where they're going to be so you don't have to move them once you have all the weights in there. Right. Now you have all, all your lifting equipment set up. Now you have to set up your electronics. So now you got to set up your your monitors, your wires, your laptops, your projector, you need the an lights. extension cord, your lights, your PA system, everything like that. And then once you have all that set up, it's good to test it out. So I like to get my laptop actually connected in, pull up lifting cast, make sure it shows up on all the monitors. Um, for the referee lights, I like to plug in the DRL system, turn on the TV, test out the white lights, test out the reds and everything like that, make sure the remotes are working. Um, once you have everything in place, then you want to tape down all your wires and stuff so people don't trip over it. So um, all that little stuff until you get your final setup. Um, I, I think for basically that kind of setup, one competition, three warmths takes about two or three hours. If you have a, a lot of help and people know where to put it, then maybe the initial setup of all of the, the plywood and the racks and the weights might be faster. But you still need to take your time when it comes to setting up all the technology. Um, and right. also like any kind of banners or, or sponsor banners or the USA pop-ups, you want to take your time with those things. You can't just like rush through them. Right. And then that brings us to actual meet day and what's involved in, in making sure the, the meet is run well. Yeah. So the, the actual meet day is broken up into sessions for the lifters. Usually that's what we like to do. And that's what a lot more meet directors are doing. So you might get a morning session that's 9am to 1pm and an afternoon session that's 2pm to 6pm. Um, so the lifters might come in a little bit before that, leave a little bit after that for their session. But for the meet director, you have to be there the whole time. So if lifting starts at 9 a.m., then weigh-ins start at 7 a.m. So the meet director needs to be there before 7 a.m. to open the doors, turn on the lights, get all the paperwork ready. So sometimes I'm there at 6.30, 6.45, depending on uh, how, how far away it is and stuff like that, to open the door up, turn on the lights, get everything going. And then I'm there through the whole time when you finish lifting at 6 p.m., you still have to do the awards for that afternoon session. Could take whatever, 20 minutes, could take 45 minutes, depending on how long it takes you to go through all the awards and calculate all the, the trophies and stuff like that. Then you also have to do the drug testing. So depending on how many volunteers you have, you might have to do each drug test one at a time, or maybe you have a couple people and you can send them out. Um, but even then, some people can't go to the bathroom right away. Maybe they just went to the bathroom before their final deadlift, so now you got to sit around wait for them to drink water, fill out paperwork so they can go to the bathroom. So for a two-day meet, day one may still take you from 6.30 a.m. 
till let's say 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. So yeah. you're looking at over a 12 hour day. Yeah, it's it's exhausting. <laughs> you're on your you're yeah. on your feet all day long. Yeah, it, it, on your feet all day, and and it's it's 12 hours of work. Just like you go, you might work a nine to five job or nine to six uh, job. Um, that's how many hours you work. But there's still the time before it even that you have to wake up, you have to shower, get dressed. If you want to eat some breakfast, make some coffee. So some might, meat directors might have to wake up at 5:30 a.m. to prepare themselves for being at the venue at 6:30 because yeah. they're going to be stuck there for the next 12 hours. Yeah, and the thing that sucks the most about a two-day meet is after the first day, you have to do the same thing <laughs> the next day. Is brutal. Yeah, and 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 depending on the the volunteers you have, like hopefully your spars and loads will stick around after the afternoon session on day one to kind of help put everything back because no matter how many times you tell lifters, Hey, please take all your equipment with you. Please throw everything away. Put your weights back. You go down into that warm up room and it's a fucking war zone. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Every time weights are everywhere. That, so, that, that alone, cleaning the warm up room alone is like an hour. It usually like about an hour. Yeah. So hopefully you have enough volunteers where like, while I'm doing the drug testing, you're down there cleaning up the warm-up room so that way the times overlap and it's not just one hour on top of one hour next thing you know it's like 10 o'clock and you're still there yeah still it's so exhausting that weekend is like the most exhausting weekend of the year this is just brutal yeah so as you said you have to do the the same thing again day two so day two again you wake up whatever 5 30 6 a.m you open the doors at 6 30 6 45 you run through the two sessions um but this time now once you're done with the awards and you're done with the drug testing, now you have to put everything back. So now the breakdown um, goes into effect, which is about as long or if not longer than the setup because you also have to clean everything afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, and that that also depends on the venue too because like you were saying, if it's a convention hall where you could just go right in, it's it's kind of easy. But if you have a, a venue like ours where you have stairs that you have to deal with, you know, it takes it takes a lot longer. If you're carrying kilo plates up a flight of stairs takes a while. Yeah. If if you have a hotel or, or a convention center set up with like uh if it's a different floor, you have an elevator. If it's on the same floor, you might have your U-Haul, you might have hand carts, you can throw all the red plates on the hand carts, roll it over there, put it onto the truck. Um we don't have that, so we have to carry all the plates back downstairs and we have to carry all the racks back downstairs or last year we had to carry it all upstairs to get into a car to take it over to Bushwick to take it all downstairs and set it up (laughs) um so yeah that's like a a whole separate thing the the good thing about us is that because we're running the the meat in the same place where the equipment is is we don't have to rent the u-haul or anything like that you don't have to rent the the storage unit that you're going to put everything in we just have to carry it all down there and then it's done yeah yeah, and it's gonna it's gonna vary um, per location, like like you said. Um, anything else time cost wise? Afterwards, you got to submit paperwork, right? Yeah. So it, um, after you put everything back and you clean everything up, it's it's still not over, depending on basically the setup. So for example, for us, we rented chairs and tables. So now we have to be there the next day at the gym to meet up with the company that's going to come pick up the chairs and tables. So there's a little extra stuff like that. You have to be there for them to pick that stuff up. Um, Also have to submit all the paperwork. So we submit the results online and pay for the drug testing online, but there's still some paperwork that needs to be submitted. There's certain uh, pages of the the drug testing uh, paperwork that needs to be submitted to the drug testing lab. 
the drug test itself needs to be shipped to the drug testing lab, and then some of the paperwork from the meat and the drug testing needs to be submitted to the USA Appeal National Office. So that could take time the following day of basically waiting for people to come pick up their stuff, filling out the paperwork, um, organizing everything, going over to FedEx or USPS, shipping it all out. Um, so it's another couple hours of doing all that um, and obviously making sure your results are correct when you submit it, paying the drug testing, all that stuff like that. So not only is there that like the two, that like I say three hours on Friday setting up, then there's like the 12 hours on, on Saturday of running the meet, maybe 12 to 15 hours on Sunday running the meet, and then maybe another two hours on Monday, uh, basically finishing up all the paperwork. Yeah. And the potential is to walk away with 1500 bucks or $2,000. <laughs> it's not a very, not, not a very lucrative business if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. If you just take, um, let's say it's 12 and 12 for Saturday and Sunday, that's 24 plus three on Friday, that's 27. Let's say three on Monday, that's 30 hours of work right there, just from Friday to Friday to Monday. Um, and then that's not counting, like we said, all the, the work you're doing leading up, which is hard to quantify. Um, but I estimated like maybe all that work my first time might be another 10 to 20 hours, but hopefully going forward will be less. Right. And then usually you're splitting that money amongst multiple people. So the payout is even lower than the total the total profit. Yeah. So in, when we went over the expenses, um, I went over the expenses of like people we might pay for like a one-time volunteer. So like we try and pay our, our spotters, our referees, scoring table, that kind of stuff. Um, it comes out to about $50 per session, which is about $10 per hour they're getting paid. That's included in expenses. But the stuff that's not included in expenses is if we're, we're running it like between me, you, Jordan, whoever else, is the splitting of the profit between all of us. Or if you're gonna be a meat director and do it all yourself or run it all yourself, then you can keep that all that profit for yourself. But for, in our case, I take $15 per entry for myself for all the work that I put in, and then the rest of the profit goes to SNS Barbell, the, the gym. Right, account. right. This year it was barely anything because we had to yep. restrict spectators. Yeah, I, I estimated around ten dollars per lifter you guys got um basically estimating the spectators how much profit you guys made off of the food and drinks um little stuff like that um t-shirts we'll see if we can maybe sell more t-shirts like people may want to buy it afterwards but we have a lot of t-shirts left over because we didn't expect this to happen mm -hmm. um so maybe it'll end up being less or maybe you kind of just give off the shirts um to to gym members something like that um but yeah, about $10 per lifter is what I estimated for the gym and then $15 per lifter for me. Right. Yeah. So I think that, that gives people a pretty good um, idea of what's involved in running a meet. Is there anything else you want to add to it? Yeah, a, a couple of things. Um, so that's kind of basically the breakdown for a USAPL meet, um, whereas like for USAPL meets, you pay the sanction fee which is right now $75 um, that's been going up over time. You also have to pay, like I said, the drug testing, which is about $82 and that's gone up a little bit over time. Then the rest of the money um, or rest of profit or loss is all on you. You're an independent contractor. You set whatever you want as your rates. If you make money, you get to keep it. If you lose money, then you lose money. None of that is on USAPL. Um, so depending on your location and everything like that, you could, like you, like we did, make $1,500. You could make more. Like down in Boynton, we make more because we don't pay that $2,000 venue fee. Right. Um, but also, 
you also you might be in West Virginia or you might be in South Dakota or you might be somewhere where there's not a lot of meets and not a lot of lifters and you might only get like 30 lifters. Um, we ran a meet in Arkansas and it was like 25 to 30 lifters. It was about like a dozen special Olympians that all came from one coach. So we're fortunate enough we got all of them from one person and then like 10 to 15 just random lifters from Arkansas. Um, so like that, then your, your profit's going to be way lower. Yeah. Um, and the entry cost is probably going to be lower too. Yeah. Um, but the, the good thing about that is it's, it's all on you. Um, but when you start going to different level competitions, different organizations, the breakdown might be different. So some of the stuff to go over is when you go to our region, which is the North American Powerlifting Federation, the entry fee might still be a hundred dollars. And then there's also a separate drug testing fee that goes to IPF. That's uh, $60. So out of that $60, that goes directly to IPF and they cover the drug testing. And then out of that $100, 65 of it goes to the NAPF organization into the fund. And then only 35 of it goes to the meat tractor. Um, Then if someone enters an extra division, uh, we charge, I think, maybe like $15. And usually that $15 just goes directly to the meat tractor. But if we just take that out, the meat tractor now is only getting $35 per lifter. And they have to run this same kind of championship. Um, and be, depending on where they are, their cost might be more, their cost might be less, um, but they're getting a much smaller portion. Then if you go one step further and you go to an uh, IPF meet, and let's say you're running a world championship, they charge only a, a 50 euro participation fee and then that 60 euro um, drug testing. Again, the 60 euro drug testing like goes directly into drug testing. It all goes there. And then out of that 50 euro, I believe only 15.15 goes to the meet director and then 35 goes to the IPF. So now a meet director running a world championship is working off of 15 euros per lifter to run an entire championship. Um, And maybe maybe they get to charge a spectator fee. Some places they do charge, some places they don't. Um, But a lot of times at a world championship, your spectators are going to be the athletes and the coaches and the referees themselves. And now people are traveling there to to pay to be a spectator. So you're, most likely breaking even or even losing money. <laughs> yeah. O- oftentimes what they say is like, you basically run a world championship for the prestige to be like, yeah, yeah I, ran, I ran a world championship. Um, on top of that, um, these, uh, I don't know how long they've been doing it, but these days you are lucky that Olico is a, a major sponsor of the IPF. So they provide the competition equipment. Um, so at least you, you'll get like a, a Lico rack out of it. Depending on the championship, what you need, you might get the rack, the bar, and a set of weights. So you're not getting any money. You might still lose like thousands of dollars, but at least you're getting thousands of dollars of equipment that you can then use for future meets or maybe you want to like sell it um, and take the money off of it. Depending on the federation, the nation, they might let the meet director keep it or the federation might take it so they can use it for the other federation championships. So if you're lucky enough somewhere where you get to keep it, then at least maybe you'll yeah you'll break even or make some money based off of that Alico equipment. Yeah, at least you're getting getting something in return. Yeah, but that gives you people more of an idea too of like people are like oh for a world championship why don't they spend the money on this why don't they spend money on this why don't they get good people for the the live stream commentary or this or that and part of the reason why is like the meat director doesn't have the money especially if you don't live in a country where you can get funding from the government so like for the U.S. We get no funding from the government. Um, you might be able to get some money from the city if you can prove that, hey, I'm running a championship that's going to bring this many tourists and this many hotel nights and this much profit for your city. You might be able to get some money out of them. It depends on, on the city. 
um, and how much um, you obviously can bring them. But basically, it, it's it's all on you. So you have to pay for lots of different expenses. But now you're only getting 15 euros rather than maybe 100 or 150 US. Right. Yeah. Powerlifting is not a very lucrative sport. <laughs> yeah. And, and and that's as part of the reason why too, like people don't see as many um, world championships in the in the US lately. Is basically the U.S. is kind of saying like, oh, we don't like the system you guys are running. It's obviously not profitable and it basically makes like a lower quality or higher chance of a lower quality meet. So we'll just we won't take any world champions for now. We'll let these other countries run it um, and maybe try and like force them to change it. So maybe the meet director can get more money. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully that changes because it would be good to see a, a world's back in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, a. Uh, uh, the original plan was um, this year and fall was going to be sub-junior and junior equipped worlds. Um, was going to be in Birmingham, Alabama. The reason why was because next year the World Games are supposed to be in that venue in Birmingham. So they were basically going to do it as a, a test run. So they basically send all the equipment there, uh, run the meet basically as IPF kind of running it. And then they can kind of keep the equipment there and use it for the World Games. Um, but with all this, we'll see... If that gets delayed or not, World Games already got pushed back a year. We'll see if the sub-junior and junior championships get pushed. Um, but, yeah, we haven't we haven't had something in, uh, in a couple of years. Since Killeen was the last time, right? Well, we had the, the All Worlds in Killeen in 2016. And then we also had the Open Equip Worlds in Orlando in uh, 2017. Oh, um, yeah. We haven't had anything in 2018 or 2019. Um, this was supposed to be basically the next championship in the U.S. in 2020, but USAPL wasn't going to really be involved with it. They're just going to let IPF take all the, the loss or whatever from it, mm-hmm. um, but we'll see if that happens. Um, right. And it looks like here on our on our IG live stream, we had one comment saying for, US, uh, for European championships, it's a 50-50 split. So if that's true, that's good. For the Commonwealth championships, it used to be 100% to the meet director. Um but now it's 50 euros to the meet director and 10 euros to the federation. So there are some better options out there for meet directors from, from these uh, other uh, regionals or um, other organizations like the Commonwealth Powerlifting Federation. Um, but in general, USAPL is one of the better the better ones, and that like pretty much all the money goes to the meet director, and then it's it's all on you to make your money. Yeah, Manny also said they did bench worlds and clean after classic worlds. I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Manny's on top of all this stuff, man. I don't know why it just ended the video. That's weird. I think it's like a, a one-hour limit or something like that. Oh, damn. We've been talking for a while. Going on and on. <laughs> um, all right. Anything else you want to add to that? I think it covers covers a lot. That, that covers... Uh, uh, definitely a lot that people I, I feel like people don't know we're trying to get more of that information out there to people so that's why i try and post it is so that people can can see like oh this is what the actual expenses are from our boy and barbell championship this is where actual expenses are from the squats and science championship and just in general this is how much it costs for this this is how much it costs for that uh, so people can get an idea of how much or how little meat directors can make and some meat directors can lose money especially if they guarantee some money to like a hotel or something like that. And they don't, they don't uh, make that, make that guarantee. Um, and and that's kind of gives an idea of what's going on right now is like a lot of meat directors don't want to cancel their meets and refund all the money. 
um, because they're going to lose so much money. They may have already paid for certain stuff like T-shirts and medals and trophies. Um, they may have already paid for um, the the expenses as far as like the credit card fees. They may have, depending on when they got the revenue, maybe already paid taxes on it for the previous year. Mm-hmm. Um, so now if they just cancel it and try and refund everyone 100% of their money, then they're just going to lose all that difference and, and it could bankrupt them basically. Um, and if you try and do a partial refund and say, hey, I already spent this percentage of the money on expenses so I can give you this percentage back, I'm sure a lot of lifters wouldn't be happy with getting $50 back or $40 back out of their 100 Yeah. Uh, so that's why I see a lot of meat directors trying to postpone their meats to a different date. And those lifters that can make that date can then compete at that one and then basically try and reduce the, um, the amount of money they're going to lose. And for those that can't make that date, well, maybe they run a lot of meets throughout the year and give them a credit towards a future meet. Like, oh, well, I'm running meets for the next whatever, three or four months. You can just do one of those instead to try and basically transfer the money to that meet and hope, again, to not lose as much. Um, so this kind of gives an idea of, like, why meet directors are doing it that way. And, and USAPL is, is fine with that because, again, all of it is on the independent contractor, the meet director. So if they want to postpone it to another date, um, then they'll allow them to postpone it to that date and try and get everyone to do that date. And if for some reason they don't want to do it, like the I know for the Virginia State Championship, they just canceled it. The guy didn't worry about the money. He just refunded all the money. Then USAPL will allow him to cancel it, basically, the contract and have that meet not happen anymore and refund the money. Yeah, that's a huge loss, though. I mean, it can be a huge loss. Yeah, I mean, that that's what we were trying to deal with with our meet because everything was happening day by day in the days leading up to our competition. It's not like now where some meets are maybe one month out or two months out and they're trying to decide what to do. For us, we were one or two days out and people were wondering, hey, is our meet still happening? So at that point, we had spent almost all the money already. Yeah. Um, I was already I was already in New York. We already did the chairs, the tables. We did the medals, the trophies, the, um, the carpet, the food, the drinks, uh, all that stuff. And so if if New York had shut down the day before our competition, we would have lost thousands of dollars right there. Yeah. Yeah, it was a tough decision, too. Um, that, that, that weekend was fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that whole thing was absolutely insane. Yeah. Uh, but we, I think we did it. I think we had a nice compromise with it, and it worked out well. Yeah, and, and we were shooting emails pretty much every day to the lifters, letting them know, like, hey, the meat's still on. Um, New York has put this in place. This is what we're going to do. We're going to clean everyone's hands before they come in. We're going to wipe everything down. Um, a lot of the stuff we did at that meet, from what I've seen, was better than what I saw at other meets um, like before, before our meet, like the Arnold, or meets afterwards that I went to, or seen stuff that people were posting up. So I think we went pretty far um, above expectations of, of what I've seen other meet directors do. That might be like a Jordan thing. Jordan was on top of that saying, like, hey, this is, this is the cleaning thing we're going to do. This is that we're going to do. We send out these emails um, to make sure that we're, we're not uh, causing a bigger problem. Yeah, he was walking around literally <laughs> spraying people's hands with hand sanitizer. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But, um, yeah. you know, that, that's a preventative measure that we had to take to, given our circumstance. So it's funny in retrospect, but, you know, something we had to do. Yeah, and then just the, the last thing to, to close on this is uh, I put a little note about customer feedback. I know I, I haven't done it yet, but I know some meet directors that have tried to basically like send out a form to all the lifters after they compete. 
saying like, hey, fill out what you think about the meet and different aspects of the meet. And you'll see this at like a national championship. They'll send an email saying what you think about the meet. But a lot of times people don't like read the email after the meet's over. People don't want to fill out the form. It's too much effort. Um, the people that do fill out the form is usually all the complaints. Like if someone had a really bad experience, they'll fill out the form. If someone had a good experience, they won't fill out the form. So it's difficult to get a good um perspective what it's like to be on the other side as a lifter going through our squats and science championship because we've never gone through it as a lifter um but if you guys listen to this episode and there's feedback that you guys have is let us know comment any any feedback um, on when we post this on instagram or you can always message me or email me with different ideas of things to improve upon different ideas of things we've never done before um ways to maybe bring down expenses um stuff that we can do to basically improve our championship every year, bring a better package for the lifter, um, and maybe eventually start doing different things like more prizes. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys about that stuff for sure. Because um, ultimately, the meet's for the lifter. that We try and give people the best experience. So, and But I've actually done the SNS meet twice, uh, and I'm biased because I'm an owner and a coach at the gym, but it's the most fun I've ever had at a meet, um, and the most well-run, I think. But uh, I'm clearly biased. <laughs> Not only you're biased, maybe like um, as you being part of the business, but you're also biased in certain things. Like you've been to the you've been to the location, and you know where things are. Yeah. I literally had a guy show up to the meet. I think it was probably on Sunday because I, I believe it was a male lifter, um, and he did the he did the rack heights and he did the weigh-ins and the check-in, and he's just hanging out there. And he goes to me like, "Hey, where's the warm-up room?" Because people haven't been to our place before. They don't right. know you have to like go into the little, little middle room and go down the stairs to get to the actual SNS barbell to get to warm up. So like this guy had no idea like where to actually go to warm up or anything like that. So there's yeah. stuff like that too that you just know everyone. You know the location. Um, you may know like New York City better than someone coming from out of town doesn't know the subways and all that stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, you have all kinds of biases like that that maybe someone brand new to powerlifting or brand new to the city um, wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, all right, I think that wraps it up, right? Yeah, I think that's everything. All right, we're gonna we're gonna sign off with our new sign off phrase, and that's always make it nice. 